What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joe, we are live. What's up, everybody? October 31st, Halloween edition of this week's Holy Smokes podcast. Yours truly, Joe Ferraro, joined as always by Sean Ross Sapp. Make sure you give us a follow. Myself, at Showdown Joe, Sean Ross Sapp, at Sean Ross Sapp, and of course, at Fightful Online. We are on Instagram, we are on Twitter, we are on Facebook. Share the love, tell your friends we are live right now. Uh, get it out there on social media. Let's get this community up and running because we got so many things to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen. Obviously, we will preview UFC 217 and my weird thoughts. I haven't told Sean yet uh, about the lack of buzz of George St. Pierre returning to the Octagon here in Canada. We'll get to that uh, in a moment. Of course, we will talk about George St. Pierre, his fight versus Michael Bisping. Cody Garbrandt, Garbrandt finally returning to the Octagon to defend his title for the very first time, taking on former champion TJ Dillashaw. Johanna Jacek, Johanna champion, Joanna champion, whatever you want to call her. She's defending against Rose Nama Yunus. She's a massive, the biggest favorite on this card. We will get to that in a moment. We'll also recap UFC Sao Paulo, get a take... We'll take a look at a, a quick preview of Bellator 186. Uh, I had a chance to catch up with Jason Perillo. For those who don't know, uh, an exceptional boxing coach. Uh, he's been working with the likes from way back when with Tito Ortiz, BJ Penn, uh, now exclusively with Michael Bisping, and of course, Christian Cyborg Santos. Uh, we will hear from him uh, in a bit. Colby Covington, was he out of line with his post-interview, uh, lead, actually leading up to the fight, his post-interview comments, lots to talk about there. Leoto Machida obviously getting destroyed uh, in that main event in Sao Paulo. Is he done? We will discuss that. We'll get your thoughts as well uh, via the live chat. Andre Arlovsky switching camps. Are we surprised about that? And unfortunately, uh, for all you mixed martial arts fans who really like uh, and enjoy the league, Ladies, Raquel Pennington is out. A terrible, terrible accident uh, on an annual hunting trip. We will dissect that. Sean Ross Sapp and I will dissect that to see what is happening with that. Maybe, maybe the most loaded show we've ever had. There's so much to talk about today. There's a yeah. ton. Something tells me this will not be a 15-minute podcast, Sean. No, no, it will not. Uh, 
You had a conversation with Jason Perillo that I, I really liked. The full version of that will be up on Fightful, but we do have an excerpt. But, man, let, let's go ahead and talk about UFC Sao Paulo right now. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the big story. The real main event of that show was Colby Covington versus Damian Maya. And it wasn't even that Colby Covington won because, you know, we it's it's just that time. You're starting to see a lot of these established guys get beaten by the likes of Colby Covington. I think that's good for the UFC. I think what he said afterwards was, too, the next day when I saw all the outrage, I didn't understand it, Joe. What am I missing? <laughs> am I missing? Like, what? Filthy animals? That's That's where we draw the line now? Yeah, I think um, – so when I first heard it, I was sort of – I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Dude, you're brave. You are brave doing that in Brazil. But then the more I thought about it, I'm like – and I saw some of his post-fight interviews and he's like, well, you know what? They, these guys are you – know, the, the Brazilian fans are always chanting, you're going to die. You're going to die and, and stuff like that. It's difficult pardon, for – Pardon my language, guys. They also chant faggot in Brazilian at fighters. Yes. This has happened um, before numerous times. So there is now we have to figure out where is this line being drawn? Is it okay for fans to do that and fighters not to react? Or fighters saying, you know what? You guys did all this. You made my life miserable leading up to this fight. Or is there a line there? Like, for example, uh, senior vice president for the UFC, David Shaw, you know, Canadian here, um, you know, transplanted to Vegas. He's saying, you know, that our, that our code of conducts committee is going to have to take a look at this because we don't really like this. But at the same time, there's always that fine line being pushed by guys like Conor McGregor. Back in the day, Chael Sonnen, Tito Ortiz, Frank Trigg. You know, guys have pushed the line before. Now, Colby Covington saying this this place is a pile of dump or whatever he called it, a um, bunch of animals, filthy animals and stuff like that. I get it from his perspective, young guy, just trying to promote the sport. But we're talking about him right now. So he's going to go yeah, from yeah, – he's going to go, Sean, from who the heck is Colby Covington to now everybody is going to want to see this guy fight now. I saw a lot of, like, false equivalencies and stuff like that being thrown out in regards to this. He called them filthy animals. It's – Something you see in Angels with Dirty Faces from Home Alone 1. Like, that may have been the first insult I ever learned in my entire life was, you filthy animal. And he made it controversial in 2017, 20, 27 years after Home Alone 1 released. <laughs> like, hey, thanks for the publicity for my Sticky Bandits costume for Halloween, by the way, Colby Covington. I, I heard this and I was like, this is great. This is good. And I saw, like I said, the false equivalencies. People are like, oh, he looked terrible. Uh, Whatever. He just beat Damian Maya. He just beat Damian Maya, who I have referred to as the knuckleballer of MMA, but he beat Damian Maya. I don't care how he did it. He beat him. He won the fight. And then I saw some, some people on Twitter that were like, well... It's a lot of like angry jujitsu fans too, and I was like, that could be it too, because we've seen that happen before too, where like a Gracie gets beaten, and there's a lot of excuses that are made. Does Colby Covington say some dumb stuff? Yeah, all the time, man. Like some of the stuff he says, I'm like, ah, eh, I, w- I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't say that. But I didn't think this was bad at all. I thought that, like, I this is where we draw the line. Filthy animal. Seven years ago, Chael Sonnen was talking about how. We have all this ingenuity and technology in America, and when he went to Brazil, they were playing in the mud with sticks. Like, that's far worse. He cut a louder, tamer version 
of a Chael Sonnen promo from every promo he did from 2010 to 2012. I don't see the outrage here. I think the satire of Chael Sonnen was one thing which caused you know an uproar. Uh, I think what Colby Covington did with the passion uh, and the exuberance that he had in that post-fight interview is what created the outrage. Right, So you take a look at that. He did it in Brazil, in the octagon, while they're booing and screaming at him, ripping them a new one, saying what he had to say, and then you know having to be escorted by 20 guys covering his head because bottles were being thrown uh, at him. Brazil's a zoo, man. I'm telling you right now, Brazil, those guys are passionate. The fans are passionate, and they don't want any outsider coming in uh, and taking shots at them, despite the fact that he just defeated uh, you know, what may be a UFC Hall of Famer one day. Um, they didn't take well to it. Ballsy, very ballsy on Colby's part. And, and, and when I initially heard it, Sean, I, like I said, I was kind of taken aback. I'm like, whoa, dude, you're crazy. You can't be saying stuff like that. And now, after a little bit, I was like, we're going to be talking about this on Tuesday, aren't we? So, And here we yes. are today. We're still talking about it. I mean, it's caused a bit of outrage within the American top team family. I mean, Laborio said uh, you know, he's no longer with them, but he's been gone for a while. Anyway. Yeah, I, yeah I get seen... out of here. Yeah. Blaming it on that. Like, that was, that was a Michael Jordan in the fourth quarter on Space Jam stretch to try to make that the same. That wasn't white. I don't think yeah. Laborio was blaming him, though. I think he was he, just oh, saying he was... You know he was. Come well, on he was sticking... He was using it as a platform, but he was more or less sticking up for his country. Sticking up for, like, look, man, we're not like that. We're not like that and blah, blah, blah. How I've many met Brazilians have we seen do this, though? Like, they've done it about America a million times. I, I, you know what? One, probably my favorite thing was when Colby Covington said, we don't need a translator. They don't deserve one. That was gold. He is the heel. He is now the number three ranked welterweight in the UFC. Think about that, Joe. Number yeah. three. He's above he, Car- the, Here are some of the people in the UFC ranked lower than him in their respective divisions. Uh, Nate Diaz, Eddie Alvarez, Shogun Hua, Mark Hunt, Cain Velazquez is a number three. Yoel Romero was a number three. Uh, like, they, these are some of the people that are there. Like, and he is a number three. That is good, good on him. This welterweight division, as, as the article that I waited to uh, publish... Uh, that you wrote will detail the welterweight division just everywhere right now. I love the new blood. I love the the change. I love it. Yeah, and what do you think of this? And even uh, everyone in the live chat, I want to get your thoughts on not just Colby Covington saying what he said about Brazilians. He's even taking shots at his own teammates in Robbie Lawler. And Tyron Woodley is an ATT guy as well. Whoa, yeah, he says that, like, yeah, he says that Tyron Woodley is more of just – like he paid to be an affiliate so he'd make more money type of thing. Uh but yeah, that good good he should. He should be indiscriminate about who he discriminates against. <laughs> he should be indiscriminately discriminate. Uh there's a question on the chat, any insight on uh maybe Usman Covington in the future and they said despite the meat contract rumors were flying that ya boy Kamaru and Colby Covington are being targeted for December 30th. I think that would be a much better fight than the Meek fight, but it wouldn't, you know, I, I'd be surprised if they pulled him from one booking to put him in another. I'm actually, if you can hear me typing, I'm texting Kamaru right now. So we'll there see if we get go. a reply. Well, he may not. I think, I actually think it's, it's 3 o'clock now, or 3.17, so he's probably uh, in training, but you never know. Um, give me one second here. The potential... 
Colby fight for uh, if he answers no, I will absolutely pee my pants. Not gonna lie to you. So, by the way, also speaking of controversial uh, things, Conor McGregor released an apology for uh, using the terminology he used. Don't want to get into that heavily. Just good on him for doing so. Yeah. Also, before we went on the air, it was revealed that Eric Perez Goito signed with Combate Americas. His contract with UFC ran out. And he opted to uh, head to Combate, and now we're starting to see this a lot. We we've seen great fit for him, obviously with Combate America really focusing um, on on the Latin market. So a good fit for him. Uh, I'm kind of surprised and sad it didn't work out for him in the UFC because they had a lot of high hopes for him. It just didn't translate well in the octagon. But yeah, we're seeing a lot of guys beginning to migrate. Uh, outside of the UFC and, and, and heading over to other organizations, be it Bellator, uh, be it Ryzen, uh, and or Combate America. So, Yeah, good move for him. I, I really, you know, <laughs> I like it for a spreading the wealth type of situation that guys from Mexico, guys from Russia, guys from Europe, guys from Japan are starting to get decent offers from their, from the, from promotions in their home country. So that's kind of good. And <laughs> It's almost a shame. Like it could have been almost like the Fedor thing, where, or or gosh, who was the other? There were some some guys that UFC or oh Nikita Krylov. UFC lost him, but he signed with a company that was on Fight Pass. So like, what did they lose? Type yeah. of thing. Like and and Combate was on Fight Pass. They're not. They were now. on Fight Pass. Yeah, they're not anymore. Correct. Also, uh, this Pennington injury. That's a killer. That sucks. It goes to a lot of things, Sean, uh, and, and I'll tell you why. Uh, when I, I remember, uh, I think it was my second contract that I signed with Sportsnet. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was a conversation. I don't think they put it on paper, but there was a conversation of me having to be uh, relatively careful in my training, any mixed martial arts training. They knew uh, I attempted snowboarding. Miserably failed on numerous occasions, but I kept going. Uh, I'm a very stubborn man. I want to get. I want to be the best at anything that I can do physically, uh, and I kept going. Uh, I used to ride a motorcycle, um, so there were different conversations of them saying it's just them protecting their asset, right? I'm, I'm the host of their TV show. I'm, I'm the UFC guy on, on, on a on a national network. So there was always that conversation. Look, Joe, we'd prefer if you don't do this or you don't do that, you know. And, and the UFC has somebody like you know Cowboy Cerrone who you know. Probably the day of fights is out wakeboarding. Uh, Raquel Pennington went on an annual hunting trip with her family and just it went wrong. It went wrong. And it, it, it's tough to say, you know, what kind of insurance she's going to have now uh, to cover that. Hopefully everything's going to be fine. But this kind of stuff happens. It sucks. You would think potentially, Sean, that they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't risk certain things because one injury and, you, and now the, that your biggest money making opportunity is now gone. So I really feel bad for Raquel. I get the injury, man. Things happen on four-wheelers all the time. I mean, I flipped off a four-wheeler before, never hurt myself, just kind of flew back, hit the throttle way too hard. But other than that, I mean, I feel terrible for her, man. This was a title shot for her. Yeah, and who knows if she'll get it once she's back because this was the right situation for her to be in that she was on a good winning streak. There was nobody else. Look up and down this division, man. It's a sad state of affairs right now. And, but you never know because, Joe, it was looking foggy for the welterweight division. Uh, what, a couple months ago? So you never know how that can hash out. But look look at it. Number one, Valentina Shevchenko. Can you really run that fight back so quick? And can you do it three times in two years? Especially with her saying, I want to go to 125. I don't think so. 
Holly Holm looks primed for Cyborg, and right now, that's the more important fight. That fight's more important than Amanda Nunes, in my opinion. Juliana Pena, she's pregnant. She'll probably be, I can't believe they didn't pull her from the rankings. Pennington hurt. Ronda Rousey, gone. Can't do it. I hear a lot of people saying, well, Kat Zingano, and I say, huh? <laughs> Dufois? <laughs> I'll hit him with the Dufois? You mean the girl who hasn't won in three years? I get it. She has a win over Amanda Nunes, but she has literally never won a fight since her title shot. Like, that's not the way this should work. Sarah McMahon coming off of a loss. Jermaine Duran to me, can you do it? She's coming off a hand surgery. Can you do it after what happened? Well, ideally you can say a champion who's never been beaten. Sure, you could go that route if you want. What else you got there? Marion Renault. She's unbeaten in three fights. I don't know if that's what you want to do there. Alexis Davis. She's booked against Liz Carmouche. Uh, Liz Carmouche is an interesting name. If she beats Alexis Davis, maybe. But that's in December. They wanted Nunez to fight around then. I, I don't know who they could do. Maybe maybe Vieira in Brazil as a co-main event or a main event or something. Like if you have a is are there is there a pay-per-view set for Brazil anytime soon? I don't think so. Man, that's that's a rough one too, man. That's a tough, tough, bad situation that that division's in. It's ugly. It it is unfortunately. I mean, you take a look, like you said, you went up and down the rankings there. It's it's tough, and I get the Katzengano part because she's got cachet of her name. Right, and that's why people will say, "Yeah, Katzengano, Katzengano." But at the same time, you take a look at what Amanda's done to this division. Raquel was the challenger. You know, the only argument uh, that I could make with for the Shevchenko trilogy fight is because of the controversy in the rematch. Right? Some people said she won. Others said that Amanda won. So I could see the UFC trying to capitalize on that, but yeah, it, it, it's going to be a tough go. What do they do with Amanda Nunes now? I mean, it's it's weird because Cyborg and Holly are going to be competing. You know, likely December thirtieth. Which is still not confirmed, which is still hasn't been announced. Somebody says, sign somebody for Invicta. Who? Yeah, that's the problem. You can't Who? do that. It's, you just That's going to then bypass the line of the UFC people that are ranked? Can't. And man. I mean, there's nobody in Invicta. There is one undefeated Bantamweight fighter in Invicta, in that, in Invicta, and she's 4 and 2 overall. 1 and 0 in Invicta, 4 and 2 overall. Other than that, you, have, you don't have anybody. There just isn't anybody. It's, I maybe Vieira in Brazil, but God, they'll probably run back Shevchenko. But I really wanted to see her at 125. If me can get healthy, I'd be all for that fight. But that was a bad look, bad look. Um, ugh. I don't, I don't like Durandamy's chances against Amanda. Let's put a bow on UFC Sao Paulo. That was a fun show. Yeah, man, it actually lots, was. Lots yeah. of good stuff there. Brunson, well, Gadding, of, Machida. It, oh God, can you imagine that? I mean, I, I so I wrote that piece for for the website, thinking to myself, I don't know if Machida's got a shot here, but let's say for argument's sake that he does. So I went through a bunch of things that could potentially happen if he does win. What does he have to do to get anywhere near a title shot? And I swear to you guys, I'm writing this thing going. He's not going to win, man. He's just – the odds of it happening, anything can happen in MMA. Uh, you know, Derek Brunson is, is known to be a very quick starter. 
starter, not exactly patient. And when he makes that mistake, it's guys like Machida that will make him paid. I, I just I kind of harken back to the Ryan Bader fight uh, with Machida, but that was such a long time ago. And with Machida being off for so long, He's taking a beating. He's just going down. He's taking these shots that are shutting out the lights like we saw with Chuck Liddell uh, against Shogun back in the day. These are the shots that are just lights out for these guys that have been competing for so long. And it's got me thinking, you know, good on Derek Brunson for getting back in the win column. Machida may have to hang them up, man. Yeah, I, I think it's it's time. He'll probably try to fight one more time. If I were him, I would make that go at 205, see see what your skills translate back to at 205. If it doesn't work out, hang him up, man. Uh, or at the very least, take one of these big-ass deals from Bellator because that's that's always on the table, man. Uh, him, versus, him versus Chael Sonnen and Bellator would probably turn some heads. If I were booking a UFC show for the future... There were a lot of results on this show that I wanted to happen that did happen. Pedro Munoz getting a win. That's good for that market especially. Francisco Trinaldo, who is, uh, to put it in perspective, Francisco Trinaldo has won eight of nine fights, and he's ranked 15th in that division. Yep. Deep, man. Deep. Lightweight. And the one guy he lost to, Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee. And a guy he almost beat because yes. he got that first round. He won that first round, putting Kevin Lee in a lot of trouble. You can make the argument that that first round perhaps was a 10-8 for Trinaldo, and then things went south with Kevin Lee being Kevin Lee and then getting that rear naked choke. So, If yeah. only Kevin Lee had staff going into that fight. <laughs> <laughs> Tiago Santos winning his third in a row and finishing uh, Hermenta with one second left. Great Crazy. for that Great for that market, too. Uh how about Dos Santos and Max Griffin? Uh, that's Dos Santos's fourth win in a row. You're starting to see like there there was this upswell of Brazilian talent, and then it kind of you know went downhill a little bit. You're starting to see that emergence again. John, yeah, Lineker, that's a very good point. Very good point. John Lineker winning again. Vicente Luque beating Nico Price. Nico Price beating him with a Darce choke. That's impressive. Uh, here's what I say. Get shoe face on the main card from now on. I love this guy. I love this guy. Good. That guy there is something else. Yeah. Like, I, what did you and I talk about on Tuesday, last Tuesday? If that fight, if Jack Marshman cannot keep that fight standing, that fight hits the ground, it's game over. This kid, I mean, Carlos is just one of those guys that when that fight hits the ground – it's it's going to get ugly for anybody. I mean, that guy there has got some skills. He went into the into Ultimate Fighter three and zero in his career. Yeah, three and zero, young, super young. Like what? When was that? 2013, 2014. So that was almost four years ago. He's 22, 23. Since then, he's had, including the Ultimate Fighter, I think twelve fights, two losses in that time, two losses, twelve fights. One of which is to Dan Kelly, who I think he beats. Real quick these days. Other loss was to Patrick Cummins, a perennial top 15 light heavyweight, before he moved down. Um, I, 27 years old, I think the world of this guy, I think that could be positive. There was a lot of good from the UFC's perspective that came out of this show. Because you can look at your next Brazil show and said, hey, let's throw all these Brazilians that just won back on this show. Let's do it, man. They're winning. That's gotta. That's gotta feel good for the UFC to have that that happening again. 
Of course. I mean, th- there was that one angle, camera angle, when Antonio Carlos Jr. had mount uh, on Marshman. I've never seen somebody like – so when when I when there was one uh, – I did a couple seminars and some conversations with Greg Jackson and Faraz Zahabi. And Greg Jackson was all about when you're mounted on someone high, you have to basically – you throw down like a piston. You keep your shoulders up and you throw down like a piston. Antonio <laughs> yes. Carlos Jr., he was like – turning and getting torque and and not just like punching at, at at jack's face punching through his face and just like like with disgust in the mount i was like wow like this guy's crazy and then my highlight of course of, of not just the whole show i love the whole show it was fantastic but the highlight for me and, and I, I tell these stories all the time sean is is sitting there watching <laughs> great dad watching it with my, my six and a half almost seven year old and him watching john lineker and him looking at me and saying is that one of your friends? Because he had, he only he roots for those that are my friends. Sure. In essence, people that I've interviewed, people that I've that I've I've just met or along the way. I said yes, I see John Lineker all the time and uh, at Titan FC events, and he kind of hides with his with his crew. But I see John all the time. He's like your friend is strong. I said, what do you mean by it's strong? And he gets off the couch and he literally looks like he puts his hands up like this. And he's sitting there. He's like, just the way he punches people, Dad. He's mean. And I was like, damn right. Seven years old looking at this. And he knows exactly. John Lineker for me was a highlight on the show despite the fact he didn't win. Or sorry, he won. Yeah. Didn't get the knockout. But my goodness, when he throws, I mean, and, and I know I know Daniel Cormier kept saying, you know, right to the body, left to the head, or left to the body, right to the head. It's, it's John Lineker. But my God, when this guy throws, it is ugly. And it just it, it impresses me in every fight. We see it all the time, but it impresses me in every fight. Yeah. Um, so I was at a Halloween gathering with friends and family that night, and John Lineker was on the TV at the bar. And, you know, there aren't a ton of casual MMA fans in my area. But I did overhear somebody saying, watch this guy. Watch this guy. Bars, <laughs> that was kind of cool. You know how I feel about young MMA prospects. Marcelo Gaum, 25 years old, choked uh, Christian Colombo pretty much out of a job. I'd say Colombo's uh, dunzo. He's been fighting for about two and a half years. All first round finishes. All knockouts until his UFC debut finishes a guy with a rear naked choke. Keeping my eye on him as I do most heavyweight prospects, but a very good show. So many people that the UFC probably needed or want wanted to win did win. So uh, that's good stuff. Speaking of uh, needing a win, Michael Bisping, I feel like, in his mind, he feels like he needs a win. Because his, his title reign's been thrown into doubt a little bit. You can't say anything about his loss or his win over Luke Rockle. He knocked the dude out, knocked him out on short notice. Sure, but the title reign since then, fighting Dan Henderson, accepting a fight with GSP. If he loses this fight, I think that he knows that it throws his title reign in question. What do you think? I say no, it doesn't throw anything into question because, number one, he did, like you said, he knocked out Luke Rockhold. And he did so uh, on short notice because that wasn't a fight that he had a full training camp for. And he asked the UFC for a favor to avenge the one loss that he had, which was Dan Henderson. Uh, Controversy or not, he rematched Dan Henderson, did emerge victorious. Then when you take a look at the actual – the way this fight was put together, it was supposed to happen last year in December. Okay, yep. it didn't happen because George, uh, with CAA and with WMEI, IMG, ABC, whatever you want to call them, 
combined the UFC, you had those two powerhouse agents going at each other, causing a little bit of friction with George St. Pierre. Then George had to get surgery. Then George needed more time to get weight. George and USADA. Michael wanted to fight. He wanted to fight. Then he got injured. So there was this this lapse of crazy stories along the way. And the fact of the matter is Michael Bisping has been competing for the UFC for a very long time. And in my opinion, rightfully so, deserves a massive payday. Will he get a massive payday? He'll get the biggest payday of his career uh, on Saturday night. That that's the, To me, that that's just a, a given. Um, but I, will it tarnish his legacy? For me, it won't because I think George St. Pierre can beat him because he's a better wrestler. But in terms of, of the title and and defending the title and stuff like that, I could totally buy what you're saying. I could buy what the fans are saying. Just for me, considering the circumstances that have led to this fight here, I don't think it'll tarnish it at all because you, you're, you're losing to George St. Pierre if you lose. Yeah, I don't think it'll tarnish his his legacy. I think it'll tarnish his title reign. But I think his title reign was just icing on the cake. Like, if there were anybody that said, well, you're not a Hall of Famer, and we've seen what a Hall of Famer in the UFC is, they can't say it now. You spoke to Jason Perillo, Michael Bisping's boxing coach. Take a listen to what he had to say. Focus on on Michael because this is a huge fight for his own legacy. Um, does he look at that kind of stuff and like, man, I would have taken out Anderson Silva. I have a chance to take out George St. Pierre. How can they not consider me one of the best of all time? Yeah, exactly. I say it. I say it. I say that in interviews as well. He, he, he is, in my opinion, of course, but he should consider him the best of all time. He's, you know, he's fought everybody and, and he's. He's always the underdog. I mean, the underdog in this fight. I mean, I would say maybe nine of the last ten fights we've been the underdog in every one of his fights, and he and he, and he always seems to prevail. So uh, I think he definitely arguably could be considered one of the best, one of the best of all time. When you look at a guy like Michael Bisping and and, and going over the track record of guys that you trained in the past from the T to Ortiz's to the BJ Penn to Cyborg, where does he rank in terms of confidence? Cause I remember you and I, if I'm not mistaken, I think maybe at the MGM grand, we, we had a really cool conversation about the importance of confidence in a fighter uh, leading up to a fight and making sure he or she, um, that you're paying close attention to where their confidence level is at that, you know, they're not getting their butt whooped in training all the time, but enough to say, look, we're, we're putting in the work here. You got to put in the hard work. Where does Michael compare to, to some of the other fighters that you've trained in the past? Oh, I mean, he, he, he's got he, he got the confidence of the champion. You know? I mean, and, and that's what and that's what it is. You know, um, his confidence is, 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 is definitely is definitely at another level. He definitely he's been knocking guys out in the gym. You know, on a, on a weekly basis, he's been stopping guys in the gym just about every sparring session we've been in, we've been in there. So, you know, his confidence right now is, 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 is as high as it can be. And, you know, I, I don't really necessarily compare any of my other fighters to each other because they all got you know, a little bit different personalities. But, you know, uh, the confidence is, is exactly where it needs to be. And, and I would say he's more or less confident than me, the other fighters that I've worked with. Just, you know, He's got the, the confidence of a champ. And he's got the words and the, and the mouth and the wit of, of another type of champion. This guy, I mean, Michael Bisping, when he goes off, you put the microphone in the front of him and, and the cameras, and, and he just lets loose. Uh, are you like me sometimes when you look at Mike and you're like, did he just really say that? This guy's on fire. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, nothing shocks me when they come from that. I just I'm just waiting to hear it. Whatever's gonna come out, and it's always gonna be so. It's entertaining. I mean, it, it's probably got my smile to respond. I mean, you know, George is one to talk shit and, 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 and you know, run his mouth. So we need somebody in there to do it. So going to definitely help sell more more papers. Well, of course, that that's the, the whole thing. I, people were saying, how can Michael say, like, I, as a Canadian, and people know that I know George and I know Mike, like, how can you, how can Mike say that? I'm like, guys, he's got to sell the fight. This is what it's all about. This is why you are going to tune in on November 4th, because you either love Michael Bisping, you're a huge fan, and you want to see him destroy that, that Canadian, or if you're a Canadian, you love the fact that, you know what, we don't like Michael's Bisping, we want to see him go down, and I think Michael's done an absolutely fantastic job uh, of selling this fight. He really has. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I've been doing a lot of travel with him, too, for the last six, seven weeks, you know, with it. You know, we were out in New York about seven, eight weeks ago. Um, and uh, obviously, Canada. Did I see you on Canada? Yep, I saw you in Toronto. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you in Toronto. That's right. And then, um, you know, we get into uh, so we Exactly. I, I think, like, you know, either love, her or hate, love him or hate him. So, you know, everybody wants to watch him fight. He was taking some, um, I wouldn't say mean shots, but just some shots at Freddie Roach, which is, you know, Michael's going to do that no matter what. But you've been around the boxing game for a very long time. You competed, you fought, uh, and now you get a chance to coach opposite Freddie Roach. Is that something cool for you? Or does that make it more motivational? So, you know what, I can't have Freddie Roach, Freddie Roach's guy beat my guy. Of course, you know it's exciting. Um, I love the I love that they got pretty much over there. Um, sorry, I was just responding to. I just got text from Mike. Um, yeah, I. Uh, no, it's exciting, isn't it? We consider one of the best boxing coaches out there. You know, you know, so it's 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 definitely more motivating and exciting. I mean, just fighting George St. Pierre is motivating and exciting itself. You know, but you know, obviously he has such a, a, a quality staff, coaching staff as well with you know Baraz and, and you know of course Freddie Roach, and um, you know I love it. I love it. It, it, it definitely will make the, the victory that much sweeter. Awesome talking to Jason Perillo ahead of this giant fight for Michael Bisping, the biggest of his career, I think from. At least a financial standpoint, obviously. But would you say this is bigger than the Rockhold fight to him personally? Because he hadn't become a champion at that point. But defending his title in such a big situation and a big venue, not not big physically, but big historically. It, I, if there was ever a conversation, Sean, of 1A, 1B, and 1C, uh, 1A was Anderson Silva, 1B was the title fight, 1C is George St. Pierre. I mean, what more can Michael Bisping want from his career? He fought, quote-unquote, what we all considered the GOAT, beat him, controversially beat him. We can make the, I mean, on record, he beat him. Then he gets a title shot. That, to be, beat him in his home country, in, in yeah. England. So. Right? Then becomes a world champion on short notice, dream come true, Rocky Balboa sort of story. Uh, no one gave him a shot. He landed his shot. Uh, and became the champion, and now fights the other guy many people are considering the greatest of all time, Demetrius Johnson aside. So, for Michael Bisping, it's 1A, B, and C, in my opinion. I mean, what do you think? 
Yeah, man, when you put it like that, it's like beating Anderson Silva in your home country, in London, that show is on your back, winning the title and then defending a title. Well, and You know that that Dan Henderson fight had to mean a lot to him too, though, because that has been the ghost that has haunted him forever. More than like not being able to get to a title shot was the fact that he was knocked out in what a lot many consider embarrassing fashion to Dan Henderson to get that monkey off of his back and to have a great fight in, again, his home country on a show that's built on him. Gosh, like, it's crazy because had Michael Bisping hung it up after the Luke Rockhold fight, I would have been like, man, what a career this guy had. Great career. And the fact that he was able to just reel off win, 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 it says a lot. So we've got this show, UFC 217, giant show, can't wait to break this down. There's a lot, and we'll work our way. Well, not Time out. S- Breaking news. Kamara Usman has replied. Oh, really? What did he say? And I quote, he's running scared and will probably duck me. That's the fight that people want, and it's the one I want. I'll fight Emil if I have to, but Colby is what makes sense. End quote. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. 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 Yes. I like it. I like it. We'll definitely have a story up on that on Fightful.com. So we'll work our way from the bottom. Not We're not going to talk about all these fights because not all of them are that important. We've talked about Walt Harris and Mark Godbeer before. Uh, the, it happened the way we said it would happen. Eamon Zahabi, you've talked to him about that fight. You all can head over to Fightful.com. Check that out. OSP versus Corey Anderson. This is the second fight on Fight Pass. Yeah. No, it's been moved up. Did it? Yeah, it's been moved up to the main card, or to the televised prelims. Okay, cool. So this is a situation. Patrick Cummins was going to fight Corey Corey Anderson. He got hurt, and in my opinion, this fight is an upgrade now. No, No disrespect to Patrick Cummins. He is, like I said, a perennial top 15 guy, but you have a legit top 10 light heavyweight fight now, and I don't know who's going to win it. Mm-hmm. True. Number I'm six thinking, versus number seven. Well, we just don't know, Sean, which OSP is going to show up. Yeah. Okay? If we knew, we would say OSP. But we don't know. So I'm still going to lean towards OSP. I just – I, you know, he's a minus 160 favorite, uh, and that's fair. Uh, you could again. You could make the argument it should be a minus two hundred favorite. Uh, nothing wrong with Corey Anderson who, who brings it every single time, but we just don't know which OSP shows up. I like this fight though. I really like this fight. I'm just you know I'm, I'm excited. Mickey Gall's fighting like that. That guy's always got. You know, he always puts a smile on my face. I mean, <laughs> Mickey Gall's a disaster. Uh, but yeah, go on. Sorry. I, I like this fight a lot more than the one they had scheduled. Very excited to uh, see who emerges out of this one. I don't think Corey Anderson's going to make the same mistake so many make against him, though. You have a couple of heavyweight fights I mentioned. Alexia Linick, Curtis Blades, Walt Harris, Mark Godbeer. Just guys trying to battle to get that, like, break into that 10 to 15 slot. Uh, in Kutalaba, that, that's a guy that I've, I've got my eye on despite his, his inconsistency. He's had some... Very entertaining fights. He had that really good one with Cannoneer. He had that quick knockout of De Silva. That's a guy I at least have my eye on. Which, I mean, any heavyweight and light heavyweight I do. Randy Brown, Mickey Gall. Yeah. 
I like Mickey yeah. Gall, man. I just do. I just think he's a disaster. Doesn't give a shit about nothing. Says what he has to say. Calls out and chirps out all the people that quote unquote don't belong in the UFC. It's just hilarious. And it gets the job done. 3 0 in the UFC. Uh, yeah, man. Normally I would say, okay, a guy with this much experience, 11 fights. Maybe that's that's a step up. I mean, he beat Sage Northcutt. Sage Northcutt had about I think nine at that point. Yeah. So I mean, it's not that that incredible of a leap. Uh, Randy Brown's been fighting I think about as long as as Sage Northcutt has, and Mickey Gall's getting it done. You got to believe the UFC wants him to win that fight. Um, it's hard for me to break this down from a, a technical standpoint because there are a lot of question marks around it. One that I am real excited for, James Vick versus Joseph Duffy. You know that ideally the UFC wants Joseph Duffy to reel off a bunch of wins? Yes, because just they, in case. Yeah. Just in case they need to, to run Conor McGregor there, and he's done well in his UFC career. He's 4-1. Uh, his one loss was to Dustin Poirier, and no sweat in losing a decision to Dustin Poirier. How do you think this one goes? Because James Vick has been on a tear. Like, outside of the loss to Dariush, just Ramsey Nijem, Nick Hine, Jake Matthews, Trujillo, uh, Reyes. But this may be his biggest challenge outside of Dariush. On any other card, we'd already be predicting that James Vick versus Joseph Duffy could potentially be a, a candidate for fight of the night. Yeah. We still have the main card to discuss, right? That's this true. is going to be an exceptional fight here. James Vick is the favorite uh, heading into this. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Because he's looked absolutely fantastic, especially with his post-fight interview. Uh, I'm sorry, Joseph Duffy is the favorite in this fight. My bad. Uh, I'd make James Vick the favorite in this fight. Yeah, that surprises me a little bit, that line. What's the line set at? Plus 150 for James Vick, minus 170 for Joseph Duffy. That's a fair line. Maybe a little bit closer. Yeah, a little bit closer is correct. I would even leave towards James Vick. So uh, hint, hint, my uh, UFC fun bets. You know which one I'm going to talk about right off the top. Yeah, give uh, us, give the, us the lines on these as we go through them throughout the, the top part of the card. Johnny Hendricks, Paulo Boracina. This is very much a Darren Teal, Donald Cerrone situation in my opinion. Where the UFC's like, if Johnny Hendricks wins, good. But if Paulo wins, hey, that's neat. Uh, that the opposite that's... for me, though. The op- it's the complete opposite for me because really? you know Paulo's a minus two thirty favorite here. Hendricks is a plus one ninety underdog. Yeah. Going into the Darren Till fight with uh, Cowboy Cerrone, I said Cowboy Cerrone is going to win that fight. Mm-hmm. I at the minute this fight was put together, I'm like Paulo. Hendricks is not going to win. Paulo, sure. 
Uh, I meant more from a promotional standpoint. Yep. Like, if a former champion yep. gets a win, good for him. If the 26-year-old Brazilian with uh, a bunch of knockouts and submissions in the first round on his record wins, then okay, cool. We can take him to Brazil. And like I said, that market's starting to look better and better and better with each emerging talent. I think is going to finish him. He's a killer. He's, this guy's a murderer, man. This guy's no joke. And for everyone that's listening in right now or tuned in right now, if you don't recall or you can't think or you don't remember what he competes at, go. Go on Fight Pass. Yeah. Go on YouTube. Try and find it. This guy is going to give Hendricks a difficult time. Uh, and, and Sean said he's going to finish him. I will not be surprised if that's the case. It's been four years since the controversial George St. Pierre fight. And T- Johnny Hendricks has three wins in that period. He has not been fighting bad competition. We're talking Robbie Lawler and Matt Brown, Stephen Thompson, Gastelum, Magny, Lombard. But he look at who he beat. He beat Matt Brown. Matt Brown's retiring. He beat Hector Lombard. Hector Lombard probably should retire. He couldn't get the job done against Tim Boach, and he missed weight. He's missed weight in three out of his last four fights. Do you think Hendricks shows up on weight here? <laughs> That's what I'm wondering. Did you see the live chat when we started the show? The question yep. was, who's going to miss weight at this on this card? And there was a period of not real answers. And then someone, I didn't see who it was because uh, I'm not looking at it right now, came on and said, come on, man. Hendricks is on this card. We already know that's going to happen. <laughs> what, what about him training at Jackson and then uh, Andre Arlovsky training at ATT? To me, that's like part of your MMA retirement plan. Like it's it's factored into everybody's retirement plan. You, you get old. You switch camps, you go to Jackson's, <laughs> you retire. Like, let's retire to Albuquerque. Let's do that. <laughs> they enjoy the warm weather. It's it's something that it's it's so hard to dissect when you think about the decision Johnny had to make with his family and heading out there um, because he still thinks he has it. What fighter doesn't still think they have it? And to go to Albuquerque all the way from Texas, I don't know how long of a drive that would be, um, or Oklahoma, depending on where Johnny's staying, but... It's a drive and a half. It's a big commitment, um, and there's nothing really wrong with it. It's just one of those things where you know we've heard it before. You know, Conor McGregor's anti-leaving your original camp. Stay with what you got, or stay with with who got you to the big show. But there's going to be times when change is required. How many people end up at TriStar, leave TriStar, go somewhere else, go back to TriStar? Same thing with Jackson. Same thing with AT and T. There's some guys and girls that like to do that. And there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, th- th- there's there's Johnny Hendricks isn't young. He's not a young fighter anymore. He's not the world champion anymore. Um, you know, and, and it goes back way back to before. Uh, and this is when Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman fought the first time uh, in July in Las Vegas. When I got the text from George in his camp saying, "Hey, we want to do WADA." Yeah. Not that we're saying Johnny Hendricks is cheating. But we want to do WADA. And I read in between that line and said to myself, "Uh, yeah, you think he is. Something going on here. And and other stuff came out afterwards and off-the-record stuff was discussed. Um, But that was the the first sign where George was like, I want to make sure that everybody I compete is clean and I want to prove I'm clean. We have an example to set here. Uh, Lo and behold, didn't happen. Uh, Lo and behold, USADA eventually came into the sport and we started seeing all these different fighters who were so dominant – not become so dominant anymore. Yeah. 
Johnny Hendricks is one of those guys. And I'm not saying he cheated or he's done anything, but there's a long list of guys that are either getting popped all the time, John Jones, uh, or getting in trouble, John Jones, or fighters that we thought were so good that no longer are able to be that good because you saw us come in. So, you know, we'll see what happens here. But for Johnny, making the change, going to Albuquerque, hey, man, what if he takes out Paul? What if he finishes Paulo? That'd be right? that'd be big for him, bigger than I think most anybody, most casual fans would realize. Uh, you know what an interesting stat is? I'm listening. As of right now, the only win over a current member of the UFC welterweight division that Stephen Thompson has is Jake Ellenberger, who I expect to be cut any day. Yeah, it's very, very strange. Robert Whitaker, the champ at 185. Uh, Johnny Hendricks moved up to 185. Rory McDonald left. Uh, Patrick Cote retired. And Masvidal, I mean, you... If they had a 165 or one, and, and if he wanted to cut to 155, he'd be there too. This is a very, very fun fight. Masvidal and Thompson. Masvidal, who was hanging around in that 155 division, is ranked number four as a welterweight. That's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, it's amazing as, as these guys get older and they, they change divisions. You get some guys that are doing great, some guys that are not doing so great. Masvidal doing fantastic, uh, moving up to the weight class, and now taking on Stephen Thompson, who recently fought for the title. When we launched this website, Jorge Masvidal was in a situation at UFC 201 where he was likely fighting for his job. Yeah, I remember that. Against yeah, Ross right. Pearson. He had lost to Larkin, he had lost to Ben Henderson, he had lost to Iaquinta. And he had that one win right in between there, but he was—he had lost three of his last four. He hadn't really made that kind of a dent, and then he shows up and he beats Ross Pearson, Jake Ellenberger, and Donald Cerrone. Are any of those three guys where they once were? No, but it's still pretty, uh, pretty impressive. I, I get the feeling Stephen Thompson's going to take this. I think he's going to be measured. I think he's going to be calculated. I think that his counters are maybe a little too good for Masvidal. But this this is going to it should be a fun fight. But you never know. It depends on how Wonderboy opts to fight. It that, well, that's the case. It's it's all about what Wonderboy. I mean, you know what Masvidal brings to the table, quote unquote, easy money. He's going to come there. He's going to try and knock Stephen's head into the second row. With Thompson, it's a guy who's already fought for the title twice. It's a long road, in my opinion, for him to get back to a title shot. Even longer over the past few weeks since this uh, yeah. since this welterweight division has exploded. So he's still relatively young, but what exactly does it mean for him? Uh, kind it's not of, worse. He's 34. Yeah, right? So you think he's not getting another title shot until he's probably 36, 37 if he goes on a run. And in terms of him going on a run, he would have to do so. Now, you mentioned that he's going to be measured and calculated. The only way, in my opinion, oh, the odds are all just updated. Um, the, the only way Thompson will start getting closer to a title shot is with crazy-ass finishes. Yeah. Right? Because you, you start putting your stamp on everybody the UFC puts in front of you, and I'm finishing this guy, I'm finishing that guy, I'm not going to a decision. Right? So, you know, Stephen Thompson will have to take risks. Uh, in some of these fights if he ever wants to get close to a title shot unless he's got something happening outside of the UFC that we don't know but I know his family business uh, the karate school does absolutely fantastic those guys are making money uh, and that that's a tradition that him and his dad or his dad has had forever so he'll never be out of work he'll never be in a situation where he's not going to make money uh, and this guy's a good looking dude Hollywood is around the corner 
right? Yeah, that's an option too. It's something I hadn't, I hadn't considered, but uh, that is kind of the way he came up. I'm sure. I'm sure every crappy karate movie would love to have him in it. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> you know they would. Let's yeah, talk hey, about guys. the big fights. Oh boy, here we go. What do you got? I'm ready, man. Yoana and Rose Namajunas. I I love this fight. Yoana, rightfully a giant favorite. Her foot accuracy is just special. How she is able to keep a distance with that front kick that we didn't really see employed until like seven, eight years ago whenever whenever Anderson Silva did it. But she's able to do it, and she pushes like with her the ball of her foot and the heel. And it's not just a distance thing. It's like a one day this is going to really mess somebody up, and it's going to send somebody backpedaling, and she's going to finish them with that. You cannot get stuck up against the cage with Joanna and Jacek. Because you will get hit with every kind of strike. I'm talking elbows, knees, kicks, punches. Uh, she will measure you, and then she will pick you apart. But uh, one of the tools that Joanna has that a lot of people don't is this really violent snap jab that doesn't finish people, but like the way that she puts it, like you can tell that it registers with her opponent, and they're like, damn. I don't want to make a habit of getting hit with that, but they do. And there's nothing they can do to stop it. And while they're registering it, Joanna follows up with something else. Like, it's just, it's so different from just her casual, like, when she reaches out jab, she snaps it. And as soon as, like, when it would hit Andrade, she was like, damn. Felt that one. Another thing that I love, and, you know, you're probably not going to run into it as much with, with Rose as you did Esparza, but... Yoana, how she would just effortlessly just go flat on a sprawl. Just, like, Esparza has some of the best wrestling in that division. And she would wrap a leg, and Yoana's like, no. And just would go completely flat on top of Esparza. No struggle whatsoever. I I really think she's the greatest women's MMA fighter of all time. I don't think there's an argument there. I mean, you can go up and down and think about it, but... You know, unless unless Holly Holm, even if Holly Holm was to win the featherweight title, I get it. But that's just Johanna will get that 125 pound title if she wants it, right? I just think that the fact that Johanna became the champion the way she did and continued to defend it the way she does, she is the greatest women's fighter of all time right now in mixed martial arts. So it remains to be seen. The only knock I have on her, and I don't think she really truly understands the impact of, of her words sometimes. Yeah, I know true. she gets in there. She tries to get into her opponent's head, and she does a fantastic job. And we all saw it the very first time uh, against Carla Esparza, how Carla was like, the heck is this? And and the, the extreme confidence that Johanna had, and she does it all the time. But I, mean, I think it was a, personally it was a bad look, uh, bad terminology, bad words that she used with uh, Rose Nama Yunus saying that she's mentally unstable. This all after Rose was basically saying, look, man, I, I, part of me is fighting for uh, people to just to, to bring up awareness uh, for mental health issues. And then for Johanna to come back afterwards and say, you're mentally unstable. Okay. And, and the cool. mental aspect of the game is a big one, too. And Joanna is real good at it. And Rose has never been that person that exudes a ton of confidence to me. Like, she looks like she fights and lives sometimes with a chip on her shoulder. And there's nothing wrong with that. We, Michael Bisping fought with a chip on his shoulder for a long time. Look where he is right now. Tyron Woodley has been one of the more successful welterweight champions of all time. And look where he is. He fights with a chip on his shoulder all the time. It doesn't necessarily always make for exciting fights, but... Rose's fights aren't don't ever lack excitement. 
I think she's going to be, at worst, the Uriah Faber of this division. She's 25, and she's always going to be in the title picture, even if she doesn't win the title. She'll be a person that they can slide in there, and you'd be like, okay, understandable. She covers range exceptionally well. You don't want her on her on on uh, your back. She does this thing where she almost uses the mount where almost everybody else uses the mount to finish. She kind of uses it to set up a back take, which I think is really cool. Like she'll lace a leg through while she's in mount, and then when somebody rolls away from mount to try to try to uh, get away from it, it's already in there. She's got that hook, and she's throwing down punches. She's throwing down chokes. Now, hooks don't prevent her from getting chokes. She'll, she'll throw them in there no matter what, and she'll make the situation happen. That's a part of her, her body type, that long, lanky body where she can throw in a body triangle sometimes and against a, a, a Ioana, she That's the right kind of body matchup to where if she locks in a uh, rear naked choke, she could switch to the body triangle, and that could be trouble, but a lot easier said than done. This fight is a fun, fun fight. It's. I'm going with Ioana, but uh, Rose is going to be a girl that you see come back and come back and come back in, in this title slot. I mean, she fought for the first ever championship, and I think that if she fought Esparza today, she would probably beat Esparza, but she was so young in her career at that point that I don't think she was ready for it. Yeah, no, I think I'm, I'm obviously going to favor Johanna in this fight because Johanna is just <laughs> on a different level. Um can Rose pull off the upset? Hell yeah. I think she can. I mean, uh, so there's, there's always that one fighter uh, that has the other fighter's number. Uh, we haven't seen it with Johanna just yet. Uh, the one person to give her real problems. Uh, people could say good day all they want. No. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a matter of time before we see somebody give Johanna problems. And it might be father time. We don't know. Uh, or maybe when she moves up, she may have problems with Shevchenko. We don't know. But right now she's just so dominant. But that's not to say that Johanna can, or that uh, Rose can't get the back, can't control, can't get Johanna to make that mistake on the ground. Right? She'll be punished. Uh, but you know, it's it's going into these title fights. Um, the the mentality that you have that and, and and GSP told me about it all the time. It's it's hard for champions sometimes to defend their titles because your job is to defend the title to win three rounds to two if it's going to go five. Mm-hmm. Your job is to finish, but I'm not taking risks if I don't have to because I am the champion. Things change. Whereas the challenger, uh, it chances are nine times out of ten it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. It's not for Rose, but it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. They are willing to die in there. That's a different mindset than just trying to defend the belt, a.k.a. what Tyron Woodley uh, is experiencing right now. These fighters that are getting the title shots are willing to die in there. They're not going to give up. They're, they're going to go through hell and back. Whereas the champion's like, I'm already here. I'm already the champion of the world. you got to beat me. So my, my question is, Thompson Masvidal might go the distance. I don't think Borchina and Hendricks will. Do you think UFC will stall for time, knowing that these three title fights may all go the distance too? Because I'd really like to get our post show started before one forty-five. <laughs> we do have a UFC two seventeen post show, by the way, guys. Forgot to plug that. And uh, James, y'all Lynch need to is- y'all need to stay up with us because we're going to be up late. Oh, it's going to be it's going to be a good time. And James Lynch has the MMA Industry podcast on Thursday where he uh, talks to members of the MMA media about how they got into it, 
uh, their experiences. I'm probably going to do some for the pro wrestling media. It's not going to be a regular thing, but I'll do those as well. I was on his show last week. It was a good time. But we got we got more title fights to talk about, Joe. Oh, there's more fights at UFC? I thought that was the last fight. It could have been, and I would have been happy with this card. <laughs> oh, the fight that I've been looking forward to the most since Dominic Cruz lost the title to Cordy Garbrandt is finally happening. It's the co-main event, Saturday night, Sean Ross Sapp. Cody Garbrandt, TJ Dillashaw. Holy smokes, is this going to be a sick fight? Yeah, so <laughs> it's so weird because when Garbrandt beat Cruz, he went into that fight with so many question marks. And now he goes into this fight, and because of that just monumental improvement that we saw, I don't even know if it was improvement, just the shift in game that we saw. I've got a bunch more questions. How's he going to look 10 months later? Like, what kind of, like, he's coming off a back injury. How much improvement could he have done during that point? Garbrandt outlasted a the greatest Bantamweight of all time, who pretty much penned the script on footwork in that division. And he did it by dictating the pace, and that's a, a term that I hate to hear used over and over and over again, but he really did. As opposed to trying to cut off like Dominic Cruz and his strengths, he was really, really happy to uh, just wait it out, search the range, wait for a counter. Like, and that's not something that you see a lot of. He becomes really aware when his opponents are trying to recover, and he pounces on that. Part of, one of my favorite things that he doesn't do is he doesn't worry too much about the third man in the cage, the referee. He's not over there trying to to avoid the referee or get the referee to make an early stoppage. He uses, like, if he knocks somebody down, he measures them and finishes them. Uh, there's been times when, like, you know, he'll point at Dominic Cruz or something like that, but I think that was as much a part of his game as anything was that he wanted to get in the head even while in the cage of Dominic Cruz. He's got a really good strike style where he punches, step, steps through, lets the momentum carry him forward, and then switches his stance, which you will see a lot of out of Bantamweights especially. That's just something that so many of them do that each other one has had to adapt to. There's also like this, he searches for his range really well. He looks for the opportunity to land like a tight right hand, which is a different method than some of his wider punches, but his tight right hand works really well. There's just a lot of cool, like he's he's a breath of fresh air because a lot of those guys fought fought similar. Like, do you remember Joe when Brock Lesnar showed up and every heavyweight just had to be 265 pounds roided yep. up and fought the same, tried to fight the same way? That almost became the thing with Cruz. Like everybody saw what Cruz did and they're like, well, we got to do that. No, Cody Garbrandt did things a little bit different and it won him the title. I mean that that fight still lives on in, in infamy in my head because I was in Japan when that fight was going down and wasn't able to do anything other than the fact that I'm calling fights for Ryzen and next thing you know I'm getting these updates with with Ronda uh, and Cody and, uh, Cody Garbrandt's the world champion he defeated Dominic Cruz what it was like oh my god what's happening here oh and I remember when I got home um, you know I had to crash obviously because there's a long 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 flight and time zone change but the first thing I did is you know I wanted to see by the time I even had a chance to even look at the Ronda Rousey fight it was so quick I saw it on my phone but the Garbrandt fight and, and, and Cruz fight I had to watch it and was just mesmerized absolutely mesmerized by Cody's performance 
Um, not just technically from an MMA perspective, but just in general, uh, the attitude, the cockiness, the like, just the the, the crazy stuff he was doing, the struts and um, in the cage. So that Dillashaw fight is something I've wanted for such a long time. And now we're going to see, you know, what does that back injury and that back surgery and all that stuff. And what is it going to do to Cody right now? He's saying it's nothing. Uh, TJ's remained relatively composed leading up to this fight here. He's not letting Cody uh, get into his head. We're seeing changes at team alpha male right now uh, with Uriah Faber, no longer having Justin Buckles or Justin um, Buckles as the head coach. Uh, and I know Justin and those guys had a meeting with Cody or, or with TJ recently. So there's a, there's some weird stuff going on between, again, Dillashaw, Garbrandt, Team Alpha Male, Justin, Uriah. And, and there's a lot of mental things that are going on here. But once these two step into the octagon, we'll see what's going to happen. In my opinion, I think Cody should be able to emerge victorious because it's almost like, you know, th- these three guys, uh, Garbrandt, Dillashaw and, and Cruz, they're not replicas of each other, but they sort of are. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just the styles are a little different in terms of what they bring uh, to the cage. But Cody's just this incredible fighter and has the ability to be a huge star. But Dillashaw has more than enough skills and and a training camp and an understanding that, you know what, we can break this guy down and make him pay uh, for things that he is unaware of. Right. And a lot of it's amazing. No matter what the changes, no matter who leaves the camp, there's always a guy at Team Alpha Male ready to compete at the top level. Isn't that yeah. just insane? It kind of reminds me of the New England Patriots to to a degree. Like, no matter what pieces leave, like, that team just inserts somebody in and they become a star. The, hey, your coach leaves? Whatever. Here you go. What about this guy? Oh, he, he doesn't like it here. He's leaving in a couple months. See ya. We got a new guy ready. It's It's kind of impressive. From a technical standpoint, Dillashaw's footwork is probably better. But it's it wasn't better than Cruz's, and that fight was really close. So it's it's tough to say, like that that made any giant measure of, of of a change. But we saw Dillashaw try to play Cruz's game, and it didn't work out for him. He lost. We saw Garbrandt work on timing and countering, and succeeded. But Dillashaw's footwork leads his opponents into the fence where he does the same thing. He switches stances, throws combos. Uh, we've seen Dillashaw address his holes against a guy like a Sun Sal where he avenged a, a loss. One of the, the keys to Dillashaw's game, I see him throw, or especially against Lineker, he would faint, throw, would drop, and then lock the leg around like the sweeping takedown, and then lock the body. He did that like four or five times on Lineker where Lineker was off balance and taken down before Dillashaw even touched the back of his legs. Now, can he do that against Garbrandt? I doubt it. I don't think so against Garbrandt. Garbrandt is a much better wrestler, but this is a high, high level fight. This is, man, like because just because of the disparity between Joanna and Rose... This is, I don't want to say the people's main event, but this is like the, the undercover main event of the show. Yeah. I mean, this is a sick fight. <laughs> no matter what anyone says, sick I know fight. that the mentality for most people is bigger is better. Uh, and that 135 should not be headlining a show. I'm sorry. This is a sick fight. Um, it would have probably been better. Um, I don't even know if it's it's the truth, though, Sean. Better once the Ultimate Fighter, their their season of Ultimate Fighter concluded. Uh, I still don't know. And again, I'm, I, I could be pleading 
uh, modern day ignorance what the ultimate fighter does uh, for anything anymore if it's any anything that they do for shows or for fights I don't know uh, I mean I'm looking at this current season of the ultimate fighter thinking I just lost Justin Gaethje for almost a year after he came off and, and did that performance in, in the octagon so I mean what about Conor McGregor saying that he's got his eye on Justin Gaethje too did you see that yeah, I mean, Conor McGregor is planting seeds. He's doing the old like, – Conor McGregor is doing what Conor McGregor does, what Chael Sonnen did back in the day is you got fights ahead of you, but you're planting seeds everywhere else, right? Um, you know, he, he – Conor's confidence with striking is going to be through the roof right now. Oh, yeah. Right? He went, went what, nine, ten rounds with Floyd Mayweather? You know, he's he's, he's going to come in and say he's the greatest striker ever. I would this, agree. This, <laughs> Right, so there's a lot of stuff there for for Connor. I'm, I'm, I've seen some funny memes of of Nate Diaz saying, "I haven't priced myself out of the market. It's just you guys can't afford me." Well, if that Nate Diaz fight isn't on the table anymore, uh, and now that we have Tony Ferguson as the interim champ, uh, his management, which is they share the same manager, both Connor and Ferguson, and they're basically he's basically saying that fight is going to take place. It's just a matter of when. You manage both guys. <laughs> You can pretty much decide when that fight's going to take place, right? You're, you're you're in touch with both guys, so you're in the middle. Of, you're you're basically being almost like the UFC sort of thing, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Habib's taking on Edson Barbosa. Uh, th- there's options there for Connor, no matter what. You know, we talked about Joseph Duffy earlier on. There, there's and now he's talking about Justin Gaethje. Options are there for Connor. Always going to be there. Main event time, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Here we go. Bisping GSP. I am made of questions here. GSP hasn't fought in four years, never fought at middleweight. Bisping, a former light heavyweight. He's a big dude. He adapts really, really well, that being Bisping. So I'll point at instead, we know Bisping's game. We know GSP's game, but we don't know GSP's game at middleweight. He is he pretty much was that same fighter from like 2007, 2008 throughout his whole career. He didn't have to adapt and evolve a whole lot. He was like that wrestle boxer, but the thing is like he had that great jab. He had a great superman punch. He had a great straight. He had great single legs, double legs, kicks. And other guys were just trying to catch up on that. Like he didn't really have to add a ton to his game. He would submit guys, but it, towards the end of his career, it didn't happen a lot. He has really good control with his knees, where he would gain top control and then walk his body up and just smother people. Inside the guard, he was really, really dominant, but that was against guys that were a little closer to his size. And guard, over the past four years, has been negated even more in MMA. Like We don't see it, like the threats that we saw once before. I don't put it past Bisping if he does get taken down to work from the bottom because he's going to be physically, he's going to have maybe a bit of an advantage there holding GSP there, working elbows, things like that. If he can find some success there, we've seen some guys do some damage that can last through five rounds. Like If you throw an elbow from the bottom in the guard and you cut somebody right here over the eye, that pays dividends in rounds three and four. Now there's one thing that I noticed that Bisping really, really does, that GSP could capitalize on. But I'm sure Bisping has changed his game plan accordingly. Bisping will square up his hips if you watch that Luke Rockhold knockout, and he will lean into his punches, and that puts him off balance. If you put yourself off balance trying to punch George St. Pierre and he can take that punch, you're probably going to end up 
on your face or on your back. Like he's he's going to probably take you down a little bit. CB Dalloway has really similar double legs to George St. Pierre, and Bisping was able to fight off some deep attempts, but fell victim to a couple others. Now, that was years ago. That was a long time ago. Bisping has done nothing but get better at preventing takedowns since then. So, gosh, this is like just we don't know what to expect of GSP. I can't believe it's been four years since he's been gone. Like, it's it seems like last year, the year before, but... This is just such a such a crazy fight that we're about to see. Um, it, it's one of those things where, like you said, we just don't know. It's been such a long time since George competed. Bisping has an incredible work rate, as does George. George now has to potentially deal with or, or not really carry a heavier body, but a stronger body, a more powerful body, one that hits hard. People do not respect Bisping's power. He hits hard, mm-hmm. believe it or not. He hits extremely hard. Uh, even one of those jumping knees can be pretty dangerous uh, if you time it correctly. You don't want to do it against George, technically speaking, but if the right opportunity presents itself and, and George is on the back heel, you can throw that jumping knee if George begins to move forward. Uh, and rest assured, I mean, Bisping would, would love to throw a knee as George comes in for a takedown. Um, so it, it is one of those things. I mean, on paper, and we know paper doesn't fight paper. On paper, George, technically, despite being off for four years, is the better wrestler, and the better wrestler will generally dictate where the fight is going to take place. So if that's the case, George will determine where this fight's going to take place. But he's going to have a lot of work to do. The work that Michael Bisping will allow him to do, um, or the, the work that Michael Bisping is going to make George do, could fatigue George. Or has George specifically taken all this extra time to deal most specifically with really big, strong bodies, much bigger than anything he's ever faced in the past, where he can understand that his muscles are going to have to recuperate, get a whole lot of oxygen to continue fighting at a pace? Because George always built his career on, they can't match my rhythm. They can't keep up to my rhythm. And if you're if, if you're working, I mean, you know this, Sean, if you're sparring with someone or competing against someone uh, and at the same time you're going to their rhythm you're going to get tired because you're not going to your yeah. natural pace so George's whole thing is to get you to work at his heart rate his rhythm so you fatigue easier uh, th- some of the tricks he used to do with BJ Penn that people don't really know about he talked about it in the post fight press conference at UFC 94 was you know when he had BJ Penn up against the cage and BJ had was working those underhooks they were scientific. They did this scientifically, where they broke down BJ Penn's body type and the type of belts that he had. That he would have to carry. He wasn't going. George wasn't going for the takedown. He was there against the cage, but he was making BJ carry him and carry him and carry him to the point his arms would fatigue, and then you'd see George lay off and then come in with the combinations trying to finish him. Will he be able to do that to Michael Bisping? No idea. We don't know what that game plan is. All I know is that Faraz Ahabi and the team always find ways to surprise us. We don't know. And I know George does a lot of studying in terms of the human body and scientifically what a specific body type does in certain situations. In my opinion, George should dictate where this fight will take place. I also know Michael Bisping hits like a truck, and this thing could end at any time. Yeah, I can't wait to cover it. I can't wait to see it. This is a major card, Madison Square Garden. We got a live post show right after UFC 217. Tons of stuff at Fightful's YouTube. Uh, tons of stuff at Fightful.com. I encourage you guys to go there for all your MMA news. But that's not the only show we're covering that weekend. Uh, 
We'll briefly talk about it, but Bellator 186, it's at Penn State. They're loading it up with amateur wrestlers. They have Taiwan Claxton, Logan Storley, some really good prospects on the prelims. Then you got Ed Ruth, who I've interviewed. Uh, that's on Fightful.com. Uh, he's fighting Chris Dempsey. This is his biggest challenge yet. I think Ed Root's winning that fight. Zach Freeman, who beat Aaron Pico, they have booked him against Syed Awad, who is in our uh, fightful rankings uh, for Bellator. So that's a big step up in experience for Zach Freeman. Good move, in my opinion. Phil Davis facing a 39-year-old undefeated Leo Leet, who uh, I think Phil Davis is probably going to finish. Alima McFarlane against Emily Ducati. McFarlane beat Ducati last year. I think she's going to win this fight again. But it's not just your run-of-the-mill women's fight. It is for a women's flyweight championship. Then Bader, Ryan Bader, who Fightful.com also interviewed this week, against Linton Vassell, who Fightful.com also interviewed this week, for the light heavyweight champion championship. By the way, we also interviewed McFarlane and Ducati, all up on Fightful.com. But Bader versus Vassell could be good. Vassell, I'll never count out. Like I just, I'm just not going to count him out of any fight because, you know, didn't think he was going to uh, beat Newton. Didn't think he was going to beat Carmont. Didn't think he was going to beat McGarry, and he beat all three of them. So if he manages to beat Ryan Bader, would it surprise me? Yes, but am I saying it's not going to happen? No. But um, some fun fights, some fun matchups on this show may not be fun fights. I, I don't know how those will play out, but. They got the right kind of crowd for this, Joe. They ran it at Penn State. So if, if there's a lot of wrestling, maybe it doesn't get booed as much. No, Bader will get booed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Bader's. yeah. Bader's getting booed no matter what. Yeah. Win or lose, he's going to get booed because um, obviously with his with his defeats yeah. of Phil Davis. So yes. it is what it is. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, wanna, I do want to ask you guys a question yourself, Sean, of course, uh, and everybody on the on the live chat. Uh, unfortunately, those listening uh, afterwards, we apologize that, that, that I can't get your answer. But you could hit me up on social media with your thoughts at Showdown Joe. Um, what is the buzz for George St. Pierre's return? This is, this is going out to everybody. What is the buzz in your parts? Remember, you're hardcore MMA fans. You live and breathe this, but what is the buzz right now for George St. Pierre returning to the UFC? Because I can tell you right now, I'm a Canadian. I live in the outskirts of Toronto. Sean knows it's called the Greater Toronto Area, the GTA. There is no buzz. There's not a lot. No, I'm I'm expecting this to be like a 500,000 pay-per-view. Now that's where we are. I think in Canada, can this change? It's Tuesday. The fight's on Saturday. Can this change in my parts with certain uh, promotional tactics that the UFC may have in store uh, with their broadcast partner, with radio uh, buys, with any sort of buys, stuff popping up on your Facebook, on your Instagram and whatever, potentially. But I can assure you, I can tell you that right now, the buzz for George St. Pierre competing just isn't there. This is the lowest that I personally remember George St. Pierre competing. Uh, and one of the main reasons is this thing here is just not going off, Sean. No one's asking me. No one's calling. Uh, the radio. Inter- I did more radio interviews for, for Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather uh, than I've done for George St. Pierre. I've only done two for GSP thus far. I have another one for Sportsnet on Friday. Uh, I may have another one for TSN. Uh, on the West Coast, because uh, Ontario won't call me. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so from a Canadian perspective, Sean and everybody tuned in right now, it's not there. It's just not there yet. Yeah, and that's unfortunate. But 
UFC did this to themselves by abandoning the Canadian market. We've talked about that a ton. And uh, they did it to themselves because they pussyfooted around with bringing GSP back. This could have happened in the early part of the year. This could have happened at UFC 200. This could have happened any number, or not UFC 200, uh, just at International Fight Week this year. This could have happened any number of places, but they didn't want to pay GSP what they wanted to. GSP got out of the, the testing pool. Like it's, He wanted to come back. They didn't believe him. Then he took himself out of the testing pool. That's that. But uh, yeah, I think they uh, if he wins, there'd be maybe some more buzz for his next fight. Maybe. These days, it's almost... It's, how you fight more than who you are, I think, because Conor McGregor fights are always exciting. Yeah. Yeah. May not be the best fighter in mixed martial arts, but damn right, you turn it in. Yeah. You know, I thought for sure there'd be a lot more hype in my parts, but, you know, the reason why I asked the question, Sean, um, is mainly because I had a meeting this morning, uh, 10 a.m., just down the, you know, I would say 15 miles from where I live. Uh, with a prominent party that's involved on the outskirts of the mixed martial arts business. Um, and he just asked me flat out, he's like, if we look around this coffee shop right now, you think anyone knows George St. Pierre's fighting? I said, I guarantee you they don't because none of them have come up to me. No, none of them are looking at us. None of them are even anything. And I was asking him and he, he just said, man, the UFC's taking a huge hit in this country. You need to get back on the air. I said, change topic, change topic, because it's just the UFC did it to themselves here. Uh, as as much as as there's only so much fightful MMA can do. Am I correct? Like there's only so much sure. fightful we can do. We're, we're doing our part. We're talking about it. We love it. We have all these amazing peeps in the live chat right now showing us love. But it's outside of our bubble where these big fights take place. And it happened with Connor and, and Floyd. It happened back in the day with George. It's just not happening right now, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you right now, it could change. It's still Tuesday. We'll see. Well, they need to all come to our live discussion page. They need to follow us on Twitter, at Fightful Online, at Fightful MMA. We're going to have live tweets of the show. We're going to have live discussion of the show. Of course, we're always there on the forums to talk about it. Guys, I'm going to start doing some some news updates across MMA and wrestling in video form as well. You all seem to be liking those, so I figured I'd try it out uh, throughout boxing and MMA too. But yeah, lots of stuff. As you can see, follow Showdown Joe at Showdown Joe. Fightful.com is the place to be. Tons of exclusives there. But Saturday night, post UFC 217, join us, my friends. Until next time, we're out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? 
Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.